Lord, we thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. That you give us a hope and a future. But Lord, you've also given us the power to assess where we're at in you. To look at our lives and to evaluate and to, to deal with our strengths, with our weaknesses. To deal with all you have for us. Lord, I pray this morning that you will guide us, inspire us and lead us into all you have for us. Holy Spirit, I pray, bring revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. As we head into Christmas, I thought we might get a bit Christmassy. So since it's you know, still two and a half weeks to go, we can't get too Christmassy, right? All right. It's massive result. Turn the person next to you and say, I'm awake. Now tell the person on the other side, are you awake? Are you awake? I don't think mine's not answering me. Are you awake? You're awake now. Now turn to someone else and say, God's got something good for you. You better listen. Okay, now look at yourself and say, God's got something good for you. You better listen. All right. Luke chapter 1. I want to look at Zacharias and Elizabeth. Two people that sort of get forgotten in the whole Christmas story, and yet they are absolutely key players. That Their life was set up to do what they were called to do. God had a plan. It really shows that God had a plan and a purpose, and that if you do what he actually tells you to do, rather than making emotional decisions or crowd decisions or whatever it is, you can actually be a major player in God's story. And these two had a massive role that if they hadn't done it, it would have not have, a whole lot of prophecies about Jesus coming would not have been fulfilled. There are certain people who were to be in place at certain times that God had set up to support the whole God story of our redemption would not have occurred if it hadn't been for these two. And yet we don't hear anything about them. We sort of look at them and we may even look at Zacharias and his story goes through and go, well, the guy sort of missed it and didn't hit it. But actually, they're quite massive. Let me just give you the story in brief and then I want to go through and pick verses out. Zacharias was a priest. Okay, <coughs> He was married to Elizabeth, who was also of the, the priesthood line, but being female, she couldn't be a priest in their culture. And um, Zachar- they, they didn't have any children. They were quite old. So they were past the years of childbearing. Okay, but she was barren. And it got to the point, what they did every year was there was a time every year where one of the, the, the head priests would be called upon by lots, these draw lots, and by turn, to go in to the presence of God and, and intercede for the people in the, in the Holy of Holies. So you had the temple courts where the general court out here where anyone could go, the Gentiles who decided to become Jews. Then you had an inner court where only certain people would go by birthright um, in the Jewish system and you had to be sort of male and things like that. And then as it went on, then there was the area called the Holy of Holies. If you when Jesus died on the cross, it says that the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was torn apart. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was stored. Um, and, and those sorts of things, okay? It was where, and the only person who could go in there was a priest at certain times of the year, and they had to be by lot. And they used to have bells on the bottom of their robe, and they would actually tie a rope around the priest's ankle when he went into there, 
Because if he hadn't purified himself right, he would die. Because he's gone to the presence of God. And the rope was actually there to pull him back out. Because you can't go in and get him. Because anyone who went in to get him would die as well. All right? Because this was the, the powerful presence of God. So when the curtain was torn, that was God's way of saying, everyone has access to God without fear. That we can boldly approach his throne. So Zacharias, it's his turn to go in. And so he goes in to the presence of God and he's there and an angel appears. And he gets a little freaked out. It's, it's sort of understandable. All right. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Listen, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a child. All right. God's chosen you because you are faithful and righteous. You're going to have a child and it's going to be a boy and you name him John. You're not to give him any strong, any wine or, or strong drink to drink. Um, you've got to watch his diet and you've got to bring him up in a certain way. And Zachariah sort of goes, and the angel said to him, listen, you know, this is happening because I've heard your prayers. And Zechariah sort of goes, this can't be. I'm sorry, we're too old. And the angel says, so you really know this is real. You know, the angel before you isn't enough. <laughs> you won't say a word. You'll be struck dumb until the time of the birth. And so and the people outside are getting a bit worried because he's been there a while having this conversation with this angel. You know, it's normally go in, intercede, do your thing, get out as quick as you can because you didn't want to linger too long in case God got upset with you was the thinking. Okay. He's been there quite a while, you know, but they know he's still there because they can hear the bells tingling on the bottom of his robe. That's why they were there. All right. Um, so he's still alive. That's okay. We don't have to pull him out. And then he comes out and he can't speak and everyone says, well, this guy's seen a vision. And so he goes home, you know, after he's done his priestly duty and, you know, Elizabeth falls pregnant. And they have John. Right. But this is also the same Elizabeth that when Mary falls pregnant, you know, the whole I'm the unwed mother of a child conceived by God, you know, sell that story. <laughs> There's one for Who magazine, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, so she goes to Elizabeth because Elizabeth is the person that she can trust that will understand and will support her without judgment. But I want to go through, I'm just going to pick certain verses out of the story. You can read it for yourself, it's in Luke chapter 1. But I just want to pick certain verses out that really show the power of being who God has called you to be no matter what your situation. Because too often, situations and circumstances can change our approach to life, can change how we act and what we do. And it's about having a purpose in your life, knowing God's purpose for your life, and staying in that purpose even when it looks like it's not going to happen. Even when it looks impossible. That if God has placed a call on your life to do something, if he's spoken something, he will fulfill it. But also that God has put you where you are or wants to put you where he wants you to be for a purpose and for a time. And even though it looks like it's been forever, he has a time and a purpose. All right. So let's just go through first things. In chapter 1, Verse 5 uh, says, it was a, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abjah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And it says, They were both righteous before God, walking all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. The first thing that says to me there is that Zechariah made God choices. He chose a wife 
of the priestly line. He chose someone who in a family line had dedicated themselves to God. He chose a God chick when he got married. And she chose a godly man. So my first thing is, choose who you hang out with. Choose who you're around. Choose who has influence in your life. Because obviously your spouse has influence in your life. Alright? I'm not saying you need to separate yourself from the rest of the world and not talk to anyone out there who doesn't know God. But what I'm saying is, who's speaking into your life? Who's the influence in your life? Are they godly people? Are they godly people? Do they have a heart after God first? Okay? Because the outworking of that is they were both righteous. They were both. It wasn't just he walked with God and Elizabeth was there. Or she walked with God and Zechariah happened to be around. It was they had both made God decisions to follow God no matter what. And you understand that she was barren. They were beyond childbearing ages. So, you know, back then to not have a child was like you were seen as cursed. You were seen as there was something wrong with your life before God, that you had offended God and done something wrong. That's how they saw barrenness. Without a child, you were, you were insignificant as a woman. So if you're married without a child, big deal. This is the situation these guys are in, and yet they still walk with God. They still, you know, even though God didn't deliver what they expected, they still followed God's plan and his purpose for their life. Because God had a bigger plan. It wouldn't have been a miracle for them to have had John. It wouldn't have been significant in their life, and it wouldn't have made as big an impact if they already had other children. But God had placed them in that time, two people who were making God choices, who were putting God first no matter what, even though their circumstances said, you know, this can't equal and it's, it's difficult and it's uncomfortable, they still chose God and God said, that's the sort of person I want to be able to bring out the forerunner to Jesus Christ. Because John had to be raised in a certain way. And God knew he could trust them because their life in every other area matched up. And I see people all the time saying, I want to do great things for God. I'm going, but what are you doing with your life right now? Who are you when nobody's looking? Who are you when there's no one around? Who are you when you're outside of the church circle? Who are you in your home life or when you're around your non-Christian friends? Because God sees that. Can he trust you in the small things? Because if he can trust you in your life now, then he can trust you with the plan he has for you. And that was these guys. God knew. See, John had to be raised in a certain way. He had to be raised on a strict diet. He had to be raised with, with certain things in his life. And he needed to have someone he knew he could trust to do that. And that was these guys that no matter what, they stayed faithful to God. Go to verse chapter 10. And it says while, while he's in there doing his priestly duty, the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Community and relationship support is vital. You've got to have people around you to achieve what God has for you to achieve. While Zachariah's in there hanging out with God, the people are outside praying and interceding. Life is community. 
We weren't ever meant to be islands to isolate ourselves. Life is community. I know I'm sort of preaching the converted here because, you know, we hang out together and we're, we're family and so on. But there's strength in doing things together. It would have been cool to have walked into the presence of God because the back of their mind, they're probably going, am I going to get fried? You know, because we all know, everyone knows what they've done wrong, don't you? We all know the sins we've done. We don't need anyone else to remind us where we've messed up, do we? And if we do, we have spouses for that. No. <laughs> or children. Or parents. Or pretty well anyone else in our world. All right? But we all know what we've done wrong. And sometimes we come into the presence of God and it's like, you know, you come into church on a Sunday or your connect group and it's like, oh man, should I go? Because we know where we've messed up. But that's the power of community, is that it's really important that we pray for each other. That we uphold each other. That we intercede. You know, we need to be praying for our services on a Sunday. We need to be praying for our connect groups. But during the week, praying for our connect leaders. Praying for our church leadership and our board. Praying for each other, the people in our groups. Because it's in that community and relationship that we see real power in God. We don't have to agree with each other 100%. I'm pretty sure we don't. You're allowed to be wrong. That's okay. I'm choleric. We're always right. (laughs) Thought I was wrong once. Turned out I was right. Nobody's perfect, are we? We all make mistakes. And I'm sure we'll get to heaven and discover holes in our theology and our belief system. All right, it's going to happen. If we knew everything, we'd be God. Yeah? And that's why it's important to, to be community, to praying for each other. To stand and just, just bless each other. Pray in tongues for each other. It's a great way to go. All right, moving on to this, this wonderful thing. Chapter 13, where the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, your prayer is heard. What did I say, chapter 13? Verse 13, sorry. Verse 13, your prayer is heard. What I love is that the angel come and says, the angel came and said, get my English right, I hear your prayers, that Zacharias and Elizabeth hadn't stopped praying, that even though it was impossible for her to have children anymore, They were still praying. They were still believing God. They were still holding on to that. I mean, he sort of freaks out when the angel says, I've heard your prayer, it's got to happen. He goes, really? It can be like that. You know, you've been praying for something for a long time. These guys weren't young. You know, that puts them probably at least into their 50s a minimum. Maybe even beyond that. Possibly, probably even beyond that. They've probably been praying for about 30-odd years for children. And so when it gets answered, I can sort of understand the whole, really? It's actually going to happen? Nah! Right? He struggled to believe it because they've been praying for 30 years with no response, with nothing, except the promises of God's Word. Sometimes you've got to push a little. And you've got to be patient. You know, what does the Bible say? With faith and patience, 
we inherit the promises of God? That God has a bigger plan. See, if they had other children, then John wouldn't have been special. And they may have been tempted to be a bit lax and, you know, oh, your brother's doing it, yes, you can go and do it, it's okay. But God had a specific plan for John and he needed parents that would raise him to fulfill the role that he had to do in announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, some of John's disciples became Jesus' first disciples. And John had to be the sort of person that would go, I must decrease, he must increase. Something I say regularly. All right. <laughs> Take it in. All right. But he had to, had to, they had to raise a guy that had the attitude that realized it was not about him. It was all about who he was there. He was the doormat towards the door. That was his role. And he had parents that would do that. So God had a plan to give them a child, but it had to be at the right time. Mary had to be old enough to have kids. Verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Just to really emphasize that. There was pretty specific conditions that went against culture. What I love is that because of their faithfulness, they got to be a part of the blessing. You go to verse 39. And Mary rose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judea, entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. It happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth has a God encounter. She is filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know what that's like? So much so that the baby within her, baby, you know, baby John, leaps at the sound of Mary's voice. How many people got a Holy Spirit encounter in that day and age? Pretty well none. She got to experience something that we sort of take for granted almost. She got to be a part of the blessing. She got to be one of the first people to welcome Jesus to earth. Because nobody else is doing it. You know, Mary goes, yep, yep, yep. Joseph goes, I don't think so. And then comes around to, okay. But there's no one else in the story until Elizabeth comes into it. And she is there at an appointed time because of her faithfulness, because she held on to what God had and said, this is God's plan and I'm going to walk with him no matter what happens. I'm going to be faithful to him no matter what happens. She gets to be one of the first people to be filled with the Holy Spirit of the New Testament and to welcome Jesus Christ to earth. Faithfulness pays out. Walking in God's way pays off. Having a heart after God pays off big time. And we now, for all eternity, have Zacharias and Elizabeth listed because of their faithfulness. Even when things didn't go the way they wanted them to go, they stayed faithful to God. And in this day and age, we live in a day and age where you know, we hear the prosperity message and, and all that goes with that. And it's, it's a good message. I'm not picking on it because we preach it, you know, that God does bless us. But sometimes things in life don't go our way. Sometimes you get up in the morning and you don't feel like doing the God thing. You don't feel like doing the church thing. You don't feel like, you know, all this and that and the other. It's like, oh, really? 
You know, I've been praying for this for two weeks now. Why has it happened? Then we tick over six months and it's, it's forgotten, it's gone. I prayed yesterday, why isn't it here now? But God says, I'm looking for faithfulness. I'm looking for integrity. Will you follow me no matter what? Can I trust you with my blessing? I want to finish with something in Luke 1 verse 59. And she has the baby. And the neighbours and the relatives all come over. And it says in the verse 59, On the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, which was the naming ceremony as well, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered, No, he should be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to the father, What should he be called? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loose, and he spoke, praising God. And then fear came on all those around there, and everybody heard how awesome this child is. What's the story? When you have a God plan in your life, peer pressure will come and try and steal it from those usually closest to you. This is the friends and relatives trying to control the naming of their child. You know, the culture is, no, you name him after the father. You know, it's got to be a good family name. Elizabeth goes, no, 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 we're going to call him John. This is their first big test. Will they do what God says? Because Elizabeth didn't get that revelation. Zacharias got it. He told her by writing it on a tablet. She says, no, John. And she must have been so insistent, they went, we need to go and ask the dad. We know he can't talk, but let's go and ask him. He can just nod. The peer and family pressure is on these guys to do what everyone else thinks they should do. And I'm telling you right now, your life will have that. If you haven't already experienced it, and I'm sure you have. But when God has a plan for your life, people will not understand God's plan for you. And it's usually those closest to you who don't understand God's plan for you. It's those closest to you who go, really? Why are you doing that? Really? That's not how things are done. And imagine if Zacharias had not named him John. Would he have ever spoken again? Because it was that step of obedience into God's plan that he was loosed. When you step into God's plan, when you stand against the forces around you that will try and steal God's plan and vision for your life, when you go against the emotional and the, the family and the friends who all know better, I'm not saying put aside godly wisdom, but I'm saying... When God has a plan that you know that you know in your life, walk it. I see so many people where God spoke in their life and this plan comes up and the pressure comes in from situations, from circumstances, from life, from family, and they walk away, oh, maybe it wasn't God's will. Let me tell you right now, when you get God's will, the first thing that's going to come is pressure. When God gives you a plan, the first thing that's going to come is pressure. And it's going to come from the people closest to you who you thought would understand. You know, I remember you know, Hudson Taylor going to China. He went and saw the missionary society and they said to him, if God wants to save the Chinese, he'll save them. Why do you need to go? This is the missionary society. And do you think, what? These are people who should be supporting him in doing it. 
These are people whose job it is to make this happen. But that's how it works. So let me ask you, do you know God's plan for your life? Did you walk this year fulfilling God's plan for your life? Did you hold on to what he said to you, even when no one else understood? Or are you sitting here three and a half weeks out from the end of the year going, I missed God's plan for my life. I didn't stand up for what he said to me. I didn't stand in the knowledge of what he said. I let the pressures of life, I let the things around me, I let family, friends, whatever it is, take what he had for me. Are you faithful in the little things? Are you faithful in what he's already given you? Are you fulfilling what he has for you to do? You see, because when you let go of what God has for you and you start to walk down another path, confusion reigns. You go, oh, and you start to make decisions based on the next five minutes. Whereas these guys made decisions based on the next 50 years. And they made decisions that made them part of the God story that they raised up a young guy who became the voice that let people know who Jesus was. Think about it. Jesus couldn't exactly walk in and go, Hey, I'm the Messiah! What would they have done? Yeah, right. God needed a voice to let people know. John was that voice. He was the one that said, crying in the wilderness, make way. But as he stood out and said, there's one coming, repent now, people came and they got saved. And when Jesus came, he was the guy who said, here he is, this is the one you've been looking for. God needed a voice to do that. And John was that voice. But he could never have been that voice without Zechariah and Elizabeth and their years, 50, 60, 70 years of faithfulness of walking with God. And doing exactly what God had for them to do. Under amazing pressure, amazing ridicule. It was because of them that Mary had somewhere to go in her darkest hour. That could uphold her and encourage her and say, you can do this. It was because of them that John was able to declare... And Jesus was able to come and do what he came to do. Never ever underestimate the importance of what God has for you to do in your life. Never underestimate the plan he has for you. Let me finish the story of Billy Graham. You know, here's a guy, I think I've told it before, but here's a guy who's got, you know, millions of people come to know Jesus. You know, my family walks with God because of this guy's ministry. And yet one guy would go out there and would preach in the backwater towns of the US. And this guy would go around and, you know, he used to get egged regularly, fruit thrown at him, heckled. And he leads this young guy in his backwater town named Billy Graham to Christ. No one knows his name. Google it. See if you can find the name of the guy. It's out there. But this one guy was faithless. He was a Zachariah. He was an Elizabeth. Who just faithfully went town to town preaching and would see maybe one or two people saved. 
But one of those people who got saved under his ministry was Billy Graham. When Billy Graham started going to church, three old ladies used to sit on the front pew in that church. And he would get up and as a young guy and he would be part of the preaching ministry of that church and they were training him up to preach and so on. And these three ladies used to pray for him day in and day out that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They would pray that he'd realize the call of God on his life. These three old ladies, all they did was pray and pray and pray for years until Billy Graham had that God encounter and realized the calling on his life. He got filled with the Holy Spirit and he started preaching and seeing thousands of people saved. That's one guy just traveling around seeing not much in the way of results but being faithful to what God called him to do. That's three old ladies whose names will probably never be known who would just sit there and they would pray because God called them to pray. Because of those four people who are unknowns in the church world. This man has seen millions saved. And as a result of those people being saved, our preaching and seeing even more people saved. Never underestimate what God has for you to do and the impact it will have on other people. What is God's story for your life? Where do you fit into God's story? Are you faithful in what he's given you to do now? Are you faithful with what he's given you now? Because if he can't trust you with what you have now, how can you expect more? Are you faithful to what he has for you to do? Are you doing the plan he put on your life? Does a new year, are you stepping into more of that plan? Or are you stepping further away? Are you listening to the voice of reason? The people in your world who have good reasons for you not to do what he asked you to do? Or are you stepping into what he has for you to do? It's your choice. No one else's. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful and that you do see every part of our lives. Lord, sometimes that can be a little uncomfortable. But I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for us. I pray refresh that to us. Help us to embrace all you have for us to do. To be all that you made us to be. That your story, your kingdom may be built. In Jesus' name. Amen.